yet. My name is Ben. Uh, I'm one of the student ministers here. So uh, before we uh, look at uh, what the Bible has to say to us, why don't uh, I pray? Father God, we do thank you uh, that you want all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Father, we pray that you would help us tonight as we open up your word, that you would make us wise for salvation. Father, please bring glory to your name by making us more like Jesus Christ uh, through your word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the other day I was chatting to a friend. Let's call that friend Des. Uh, And Des, uh, my friend, was telling me about a new movie that's come out at the Dendi. Uh, and it's, um, it's a film that's called Into Great Silence uh, and it's a movie, I understand, about an order of monks. I haven't seen it, uh, but the monks live their lives in silence, as the name suggests, into great silence. They're allowed to chant, uh, but for the most part um, they can't speak to one another uh, and that's the film. There's just silence, there's monks doing their own thing Uh, There's no music, there's no commentary of a David Attenborough type saying what's happening, just great silence for 161 minutes, says on the Dendy website. Um, And I I read the review on the website and I was quite struck by one line uh, in particular in the review and it said this, Into Great Silence is a film about awareness, absolute presence, and the life of men who devoted their lifetimes to God in the purest form. Now, one thing struck me, of course, was that, um, was that God had a little g in it. Uh, but not only that, um, it's saying that the highest form of godliness, as I understand it, uh, as I understand what the website's saying, the purest expression of devotion to God is to abstain from the world like the monks. Godliness, it says, is to be like a monk, removed from the temptations of life, uh, removed from marriage, removed from, the te- uh, from work uh, and the temptations involved there and, and the temptations involved with consumer products uh, and of having real relationships uh, with others in society. And I wanted to ask us, is that what it means to be godly? Are these the kind of things, uh, are these rather the kind of people we should be following uh, when it comes to living a godly life? Well, tonight's passage is, of course, about godliness. Uh, And what we'll see in just a moment is that godliness is not mainly about saying no to things. Godliness is essentially about knowing Jesus and following him. So we'll be looking at what godliness is and what it isn't. Uh, But before we do, let me just say uh, up front that I think the main focus uh, of our passage uh, is on uh, godliness in church leadership, for our church leaders to be training in godliness. Uh, If you've been here at Church by the Bridge over the last few weeks or if you've read 1 Timothy before, uh, you'll know that um, 1 Timothy is a letter written by the Apostle uh, Paul to his representative, uh, Timothy, And Timothy has been appointed as the leader and teacher of the local church that met in Ephesus. Uh, And as you might recall, um, Ephesus had become a bit of a rat's nest of false teachers. So Paul is urging Timothy to command uh, those false teachers uh, not to teach certain doctrines. He's, He's urging him to oppose those false teachers, to appoint good teachers and for he himself to be a good and faithful leader of the church. 
Uh, and so it's in this context our passage is directed especially to those who are teachers and leaders uh, in our church. Now that obviously means that the, the direct application is for people like Mark uh, Smith and Paul Dale, our ministers here. Uh, and also though I think for our Bible fellowship leaders and for leaders of our ministry areas uh, and I would even think for leadership in the context of one-to-one relationships uh, if there's uh, leading and teaching going on, meeting with someone else to read and to pray the Bible in a discipleship type relationship. Uh, but So it's focused on leaders but I think it has a lot to say for those who aren't leaders uh, who don't have a leadership role in this church. Um, first of all, it directs uh, the rest of us for the types of things we should be praying for. But more than that, uh, this passage calls our leaders to imitate Christ. And likewise, we should be imitating them as they imitate Christ. You see, it's, we're not ultimately followers of our leaders. We're ultimately follow, followers of the senior pastor, that is Jesus Christ himself under whom uh, all other leaders are under shepherds. And so the task of our leaders is to help us follow Christ and to be like him. And so we're also called, like they are, to follow Jesus. So that's, that's kind of where we're going in the application focus. So with that in mind, our passage is saying to church leaders and teachers, be prepared. You might remember that if you've ever done Boy Scouts. That's kind of their motto. Be prepared. Firstly, be prepared, go on the defensive and guard against... Uh, False godliness. Uh, Verses 1 to the the first half of verse 7, the first part of our text. And secondly, be prepared, go on the offensive and train yourself in godliness. And that's the second half of verse 7 through to verse 10. So we'll look at our passage under those two headings. They're up there on the screen. Guard against false godliness, train yourself in true godliness. So let's look at each of those. First of all, guard yourself, guard rather, against false godliness. Excuse me. When I was at, at child in uh, primary school, uh, there were some constables uh, that came to our school to teach us uh, about something very important. Back in those days, I was a subscriber to the bumper sticker view, which said that cops are tops. Um, That was until I got my first uh, speeding ticket. I've now departed from that view. Um, But what the constables were there to teach us was about stranger danger, something very important if you're a young child. Uh, and if you're a parent too. Apparently there had been some cases of sick, twisted people who were arriving at schools and telling kids that their parents had sent them to pick them up uh, when in fact they were lying. Uh, And horrible things have happened uh, because sadly the children didn't know any better and they got in the car. And the constables were there to warn us about these kind of people. Our parents and the police, you see, can't be with uh, us when we're kids We can't be if we're parents with our kids all the time. Uh, And so it's really important that we educate them to be discerning. That's why the constables were there. They wanted to help us spot a stranger so we could avoid them. And when it comes to false teaching, I think that's exactly what um, Paul is doing uh, in the first part of our passage. Uh, Paul says to Timothy that in your church there will be false leaders who will teach about false godliness or rather from your church. Uh, So he's saying you should expect them, uh, you should warn your people against them and you should avoid them. Uh, So under point one, uh, under point uh, point one A, you should expect uh, false teachers to teach about false godliness. Look with me at verse one. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith 
and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Paul is talking here about people who used to believe. Uh, people who probably, who, rather, who used to be members of the church, perhaps they were elders, uh, and they've now abandoned the faith. They've left the church, yet they still want to be leaders. They still want to have influence over people's lives. Um, and Paul says we should expect these kind of people. Um, if you uh, have looked recently at Acts 20, you'll you remember that um, Paul led, had earlier said to the Ephesian uh, elders, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. He says, so be on your guard. That's where, the, that's where we're getting the word from in our first point. Be on your guard. And the Holy Spirit has warned Paul about such people. Okay, so if we're to expect false teachers, how do we spot them? Well, uh, by their conduct. You see there in verse 2, uh, they're, hypocrit- they're hypocritical people. Uh, that is, they say one thing and do another. They're liars uh, and their consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. That means they've been completely morally um, desensitised. Uh, maybe they have no idea that they're, what they're doing is wrong. And if they do know what they're doing is wrong, um, they're completely unrepentant about it. Okay, so it's by their conduct um, you can tell them. But also, obviously, by their teaching. Um, false teachers don't teach what the Bible teaches. Uh, verse 1 says, They follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. They don't follow the Holy Spirit. Uh, They don't follow what uh, Jesus taught and his apostles taught contained in the New Testament. And this is how you can distinguish a good teaching from false teaching. False teaching uh, is not based on the Bible. Um, That's a clear kind of way to tell. But more sophisticatedly, I think, if I just made up that word, I'm not sure. Um, (laughs) False uh, teaching that does come from maybe one or two words, uh, one or two verses in the Bible is false teaching if it's been taken completely out of context. Um, false teacher has made to say what that verse or two uh, to say exactly what they wanted to say uh, and they haven't put the verse in its context and that's how you can spot false teaching they're not teaching in line with what the Bible teaches and so in verse 3 Paul gives two examples of the kind of things false teachers teach he says uh, they forbid people to marry uh, and they uh, order them to abstain from certain foods now this kind of uh, teaching is called asceticism and basically teach that if you want the real spiritual deal, you have to withdraw yourself from the good things in life. You have to abstain. But this is false godliness. How do we know? Because it doesn't come from the Bible. The Bible does not forbid marriage. Uh, Proverbs says if you find a wife, you find what is good. Uh, likewise, um, the Bible doesn't forbid any types of food uh, in the New Testament um, putting to one side what it says in Leviticus, that has been fulfilled in Jesus' death on the cross. Um, And in verse 4 there, Paul is picking up the language of Genesis where God creates and says it is good. Um, So he says everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So you can see that what the false teachers are trying to do is to undermine the goodness of God's creation. In fact, they're trying to do what's called dualism, set up um, an understanding of things where it says some things are good and other things in God's creation are bad. And Paul says there's no such dualism in God's good creation. There's nothing inherently ungodly about any type of food. What matters, says Paul, is your attitude. Uh, It's uh, how you receive or consume the things uh, that you do, that you, that you receive or consume. So he says in verses 4 or five, four and 5, rather, 
Um, if you receive all things with the right attitude, they will be consecrated. That is, they will be made holy um, if you receive them with thanksgiving and prayer, uh, knowing that by the word of God, through his word, the good things have come from God's hand. Uh, and so that is to say that you receive them uh, knowing that they're from God, by God's uh, word, uh, for, your, for your good. They're, they're, from, they're good things, so receive them with humble and dependent thanks. Now, of course, uh, you might have good dietary reasons uh, to abstain from certain foods. Uh, out of love, you might um, abstain from eating meat around a vegetarian or something like that. Um, but don't think for a moment, says Paul, this is his point, it's not saying abstain from certain foods if you've got good reasons, but don't think for a moment that abstaining from marriage or abstaining from certain types of foods will bring you any closer to God by themselves. That's false godliness and it undermines God's grace. It's dangerous teaching uh, and it makes a mockery of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So it's not what you don't do that makes you right with God. It's what Jesus Christ has done that makes you right with God. That's God's grace, not rules, not regulations. So I want to say to us, beware of any Christ plus teaching that seeks to add to what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Paul says, expect false godliness. Uh, And secondly, under point one, uh, Paul says to leaders and teachers in the church, Verse 6, point out these things to the brothers. If you do, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. So, to the leaders and teachers at Church by the Bridge, warn people under your care against false godliness. Pass on the truths of the faith that you have heard from this pulpit, uh, from your meditation on the Word of God in your own quiet times and from the things you've been hearing and, and, and teaching yourself in Bible study. Pass them on the good teaching that you have followed to those under your care. Warn your people against false uh, godliness, Christ plus teaching. Like the constables who came to my school, I want to urge you, if you're a leader in the church, to help the people under your care to be discerning of false teachers and false godliness. So uh, just under point C of uh, point one, avoid getting entangled in godless teaching. Uh, Verse 7, Paul says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, which are godless, worthless and a waste of time. Well, what this means for us is that leaders in the church don't get bogged down uh, in worthless disputes that have nothing to do with growing in love for Jesus. And likewise, um, if you're not a leader, please don't type your leaders asking them questions about things that have nothing to do in growing in love for Jesus. There might be books or websites that just go on and on about things that have nothing to do with growing in love for Jesus. Uh, Godless myths, uh, old wives' tales. Our leaders are simply too busy. Uh, They're too busy to be going into all those sorts of things. They're too busy reading their Bibles and seeking to know how best to help you to grow in your love for Jesus. Uh, So that's the first part of the passage. It says, especially to the leaders and teachers, false leaders will come teaching about false godliness, expect it, warn your people against it and avoid it. So that's point number one. Point number two, again, directed especially to the leaders and the teachers. Uh, Train yourself in godliness. Look at me, verse seven again. Paul says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, don't spend your time doing that, rather train yourself to be godly. Uh, Now, so far we've been talking about godliness. We haven't quite um, explored exactly what it means. But here's a very simple definition. Um, Godliness just means being like God. 
more specifically it means being like Jesus uh, in our heads, in our hearts and in our obedience to what he teaches us to do. Uh, And so to grow in godliness is to become more and more like Jesus in the way that we think uh, as we come to understand God's revelation in the Bible better. It's becoming more like Jesus in the way that we feel as we come to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. And it's becoming more like Jesus in the way we act as our lives become more and more conformed to the perfect life uh, and perfect obedience of um, of the way Jesus lived and the way that he commands us to live too. And so Paul says in verse 7, spend your time growing in godliness, train yourself. Uh, The word he uses actually is the verb form of uh, the word gymnasium. Uh, And so back in the ancient world if you wanted to work out, uh, go pump some iron as it were, you'd head down to the local gymnasium. Uh, which were pretty much everywhere in the Greco-Roman world. Um, of course, the modern-day equivalent is, um, I guess, fitness first or something like that. Uh, so if you like, Paul is saying, verse 7, fitness first yourself in godliness or for godliness. And what that means is that godliness requires exercise. It requires discipline. As our minister here, um, Paul Dale, who's just finished an Ironman, don't know how he did it, but there we go. Um, if He would know... Uh, that, and others in, the, in, our, in this congregation, in fact, have done it as well, they would know that um, if you're training for a big event, you refrain from eating badly uh, and you'll do lots of exercise. Um, <laughs> maybe that's in question. Um, but what's certainly not in question is if you're training for godliness, you'll be disciplined in refraining from sin and you'll be disciplined in obeying what God commands. Okay, so if that's what godliness is, how do you train yourself for godliness? Okay, have a think about this for a second. Um, If you were a spiritual personal trainer and you had to write up an exercise program for training in godliness, what would be on the top of your list? Just think of a few things. What what comes to mind? Got to write up an exercise program for training in godliness. Okay, about enough time for everyone to think about it? Okay, good. No one responded. Okay, um, did you come up with read your Bible more? We had to be a step out of your comfort zone. Did we have pray more? Did we have go to church and Bible study more regularly? Did you have go to prayer meeting? Now I want to say these are all great things and they will certainly help you grow in godliness but I want to say that these are means to a bigger end and a more important end and that is if you want to train yourself in godliness if you want to be more like Jesus first and foremost grow in your love for Jesus. You see it's a bit of a cliche but it's very true Christianity is not a religion it's not a list uh, and it's not about do's and don'ts um, it's essentially about a relationship. It's about loving Jesus. So how do you grow in godliness? Well, Jesus says in John chapter 14, if you love me, you will obey what I command. It's about love expressing itself in obedience and faith. Now, you might be good at obeying rules. Everyone can, anyone can get good at obeying rules. The people who killed Jesus were good at obeying rules. But I want to ask, are you growing in true godliness? Are you growing in your love for Jesus? How do you do that? Well, you remind yourself just how much he loves you. How much does he love you? Jesus says in John chapter 15, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life 
for his friends. Friends, I want to say that there is no higher goal in life than to become more like Jesus. Yes, we will be made perfect uh, when we get to heaven. We'll be made like Jesus. But the Bible says, start training yourself in it now. It's the best thing you can, you can do. It's, a, it's the highest goal you can work towards. Uh, and this is Paul's point in verse 8. Physical training, he says, is of some value. Now, you know, as we've just mentioned, Paul um, training for Ironman. Others might be training for one of those can-do runs or swims. Or maybe you're just training, uh, if you are training, to look good, to feel great. And Paul says it's a good thing, but keep it in perspective. Physical training only has value, it only holds promise, as it were, for this life. But godliness, he says in the second part of verse 8, godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So what lasts in this life, what has value, is your likeness to Jesus, your growth in godliness. C.S. Lewis speaks about the promise of godliness for the present life. He says this, Aim for heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim for earth and you get neither. Aim for godliness and you will get joy. Aim for joy apart from godliness and you'll get neither. See, if you set your goals only on the things in this life, you're going to be bitterly disappointed at the end of the day. But if you set your goals in this life on heavenly things, if you seek first his kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, God's kingdom and his righteousness, you will be satisfied. You will be blessed. The more you grow in your love for Jesus, the more you know how much he loves you, the more you will delight in the present life, even in the tough times. So in addition, godliness holds promise for the life to come. Um, J.C. Ryle basically uh, says in, one, in his book Holiness, uh, to paraphrase, that being in heaven is like being a fish out of water. It's a big paraphrase, I, I should add. But that's what he says. Um, it, you're completely out of place. Who are you going to speak to? Everyone there is all about God. They love God. They want to be like God. If you don't love godliness now, what do you think you're going to be doing in heaven? So, as J.C. Ryle says, the more you grow... I'm sorry, J.C. Ryle is an is a old author. He's a very Christian, he's a Christian guy very godly man. Uh, and he, the more you grow in godliness and Christ-likeness, the more you're preparing yourself for heaven. So godliness holds promise for both the present life and the life to come. And this applies evidently for everyone. Godliness will give you joy in this life and prepare you for heaven. But uh, let's remember um, Paul's primary concern um, in the letter. It's that leaders and teachers train themselves in godliness. See, being godly uh, in particular, being godly if you're a leader is part of God's plan and purposes for this world. Um, in particular, growing in godliness, uh, training yourself for godliness for the sake of salvation, of the salvation of those under the care of leaders. So look with me at verse 9. Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Um, he's most likely referring back to what he's just said in verse 8. Godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And uh, he says there in verse uh, 10, in the brackets there, and for this, for seeing people grow in godliness, we labour and strive. Paul Dale, our minister, and Mark Smith, our assistant minister here, that's why they work. I can assure you they don't do it for the hours or for the money, uh, both of which certainly no reason to go into full-time ministry, but this is the reason to go into full-time ministry, seeing people grow in their love for Jesus and the growing in godliness. 
It's for this that they labour and strive. Well, um, and verse 10 goes on to really spell that out. Uh, the word that there is perhaps better translated because this uh, is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance because we have put our hope in the living God. The hope of our ministers here for us is not in us following rules and abstaining from certain things. Their hope for themselves and for us is in the living God, uh, in Jesus who died and was raised and reigns and lives now. So verse 10, our leaders know that God is the saviour of all men. That is, from a human perspective, Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient to save all people and to bring them into a relationship with him. And God is especially the saviour of those who believe. And that is, from our perspective, God's salvation has been made effective. It has been made manifest in the lives of those who believe. They have been brought into a relationship with God. And that relationship shows itself uh, in the lives of people who have been saved. Now that's exactly what it means to be saved, doesn't it? Salvation um, isn't just about the pie in the sky when you die. It's about a relationship with Jesus in the here and now. Uh, It's about a transfer from being an enemy of God to being a friend, uh, indeed a child of God. And I want to say that this is what takes us uh, to the heart of 1 Timothy. Uh, What we've seen over the last few weeks is that God's heartbeat is that God wants all people to be saved to be brought into a relationship with him through coming to a knowledge of the truth. That's chapter 2, verse 4, if you're interested to know. And that truth is Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom, chapter 2, verse 6, to bring us to God. And this truth is to be discovered and explored, chapter 3, verse 15, in the church. The church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. It's through the church that people hear the truth and they come to a relationship with Jesus and are saved through the church. Primarily, uh, So friends, you see why um, it's so important that our leaders train themselves in godliness. It's part of God's plan and purposes that people come to be saved through the church and it's so important that our leaders themselves are godly. You see, because godliness is not only taught, it's caught. Uh, I want to say that as a testimony from my own life, one of the moments of greatest growth in godliness has been meeting up with Paul Dale, in fact, uh, not, so it's not just from the pulpit, but meeting up one-to-one with a godly Christian person uh, through whom godliness is caught. So I want to plead with our leaders uh, to train themselves in godliness. Be disciplined for our sakes. Please grow in godliness. That's what I want to plead uh, with our leaders for um, and as well as guard us against false godliness. And for everyone else, Please pray for your leaders that they would do that. Guard against false godliness. Train themselves in true godliness. And you see, as our leaders grow in godliness, the more we too will grow in godliness. As their characters adorn God's characters, so too will we be attracted to godliness and seek to live our lives like Jesus Christ. To be godly, which holds promise both in this life and the life to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just reminding us again that your plans and purposes for this world, you want all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth as this happens, Father, through the church. Uh, We just do pray that um, you will be working by your Holy Spirit to be 
raising up men and women who are godly leaders uh, in our church. We pray in particular for Paul Dow, for Mark Smith, for all the BFG leaders, for those involved in all uh, leadership positions, Father. Please help them to guard against false godliness. And Father, we pray too that they would train uh, themselves in godliness. Help us to love Jesus more, that we too might love what he loves and hate what he hates. Uh, Help us to... um, Be like him in mind, in our hearts and in our actions that we might bring glory to your name and joy to ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.